Hi everyone and welcome to The Wheelchair Activist. This is a podcast hosted by me, Emma Vogelman, where I introduce you to some pretty amazing disabled people. Today's guest has been the most highly requested guest for this podcast and I'm so excited to interview her. Today's guest is Nina Tame. Nina is an incredible social media personality, content creator, and disability mentor. I can't wait to get into today's conversation. I often wonder like, how different my life would have been if I did have disabled peers and a, dis- you know, and a disabled mentor and somebody to say to me, you know, your body's not gross and you're not wrong. You know, this isn't your fault. And I just couldn't believe it. Like, it was so fun. And I remember because it's like horrible, clunky, like, chair. But I was like, this is brilliant. I can move around. And, you know, I remember going to the toilet on my own and just sort of, I just suddenly just felt freedom. So I just wish parents would, you know, that matter of fact about it. Because what do you think crutches are for? What do you think a walking stick's for? What is a hearing aid for? Like, it doesn't need to be an embarrassing conversation. When I'm on Instagram and I'm, you know, just looking at, vast array of disabled bodies and just how beautiful they are in all their uniqueness and it makes me so sad how medicalized we are great well thank you so much nina for joining us on the wheelchair activist i have to say i've been so excited to have this chat with you and um in a previous episode that we've done with um Chloe Timms, she kept saying how much she is a huge fan of yours when I asked her about her role models. And I kept, I was dying to say, oh, she's going to be on the podcast. But I thought, (laughs) no, I'm just going to hold on just in case things change. But yeah, I'm so excited to have you on. Um, So if you wouldn't mind telling our wonderful listeners a little bit about you, what you do, and why disabled people love you so much. (laughs) You're so sweet. Thank you very much. That was a lovely intro. Um, So I'm Nina. I'm a mum of four kids. Um, I'm a full-time wheelchair user. I'm a disability mentor, advocate, writer, content creator. I think that's it. And I've been using sort of Instagram mainly as my platform for about the last three or four three four well I've had Instagram for like forever but I've been using it to sort of talk about disability stuff and make content around disability for about the last three or four years and I've no idea your question you know how I've got this platform really it still surprises me every day like okay that's weird but good I mean I have to say you know as someone who looks at a lot of your content it. For me, what I think is so unique about you is how honest you are about disability, which I think, you know, it's definitely one thing I really want to talk to you about. Um, But it was a very close friend of mine who, when I was sort of speaking with her about how life with a disability can sometimes be, it can be really hard. And, you know, so much of the time people will maybe unconsciously, like, paint this idea of like toxic positivity Mm. around disability and oh isn't it wonderful and you know a lot of times yeah it can be there are a lot of really great things about being disabled but it doesn't change that some days are really difficult Mm. and I think your content is so honest about that and it's really refreshing um 
So I wanted to ask you a really big question I ask all of my guests, but what does disability mean to you? It's, I always kind of see disability as in like two separate, as two separate things. I see the kind of disability viewed through kind of a non-disabled lens, which is, you know, very mm-hmm. tragic and pitying and, and all of those kind of things. And then, you know, and it's also all the kind of barriers that we face. But then, you know, on the flip side of that, when I look at sort of disabled as my as my identity, then it sort of means community to me because without kind of other disabled people, without finding other disabled people, I'm just not sure how I would have got through the last sort of two, three years. Um, and there is just so much care from people who are all absolutely fucking knackered, but yet they're still all caring and there for each other and sending, you know, what other people need and checking in. And it's just this, like, it's so beautiful. And I just feel so kind of proud to sort of be a part of that. I couldn't agree more about the community and how it, it can be a really supportive place particularly when you know that everyone has their own things going on that they're dealing with it it almost makes it mean more if that makes sense you know that in a day that's Mm -hmm. already really challenging or you know full of chronic pain or you know whatever it is that people are still like reaching out and checking if you're okay Mm -hmm. so now I think that that's really interesting that you view it through those two different lenses and I know a lot of your content that you do tries to sort of challenge the non-disabled perception of disability so sort of yeah where does that inspiration come from you know are there particular experiences that you've had that made you think oh I really want to address this I think because so I was born disabled um I was born with spina bifida and throughout my kind of when I was at secondary school I was sort of in and out of a wheelchair on and off on crutches and things like that and I hated it um I didn't have a particularly good group of friends they were pretty mean um and just that kind of thing of anything that makes you different just makes you a target um so I think as I sort of entered into my 20s, although I probably still should have been using mobility devices, I did not. I just like pretended nothing was wrong. Um, I would mm. literally like, you know, not dress sort of ulcers that I had on my feet. I would come out of hospital, literally go out the same night. Like I was just an absolute menace. And this kind of like, I think my own internalized ableism was so strong and I just sort of knew I knew how disabled people were viewed because, you know, I kind of had those automatic thoughts, even though I was disabled. So when like, you know, I mean, I was like sort of late thirties before I discovered things like the disabled community, which was obviously huge, Um, you know, discovering things like the social model, which really, you know, not everybody clicks with it, but it really kind of um, sort of changed things in my head. And, you know, discovering what ableism was, like, I didn't know, I hadn't heard of it. And suddenly just like, it was like, oh, wow, (laughs) I've got quite a lot of stuff to unpick, stuff that I had internalised, 
you know, just behaviours I'd accepted, the way I would respond to people when they asked me like intrusive questions, for example, I would tell them, I would be like, oh yeah, I've got spider bifida and blah, 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 blah. Um, and so just like realising all of this stuff and it just was this like, okay, I, I want to try and, you know, do my bit along with all the other amazing people to kind of, you know, put my story out there and dispel these myths and to challenge people's ideas, you know, while I'm kind of still challenging my own ideas and I'm doing all this for myself. And I think a huge, huge turning point was um, one of my sons has got spina bifida like me. And I always say this about him whenever I'm on anything like this, but, you know, Spina bifida looks beautiful on him and that changed everything for me as well because that examined the way I was looking at my body, the way I was talking about my body because I thought there is no way he's ever going to hear me say anything negative and then internalise that and apply that to himself. Yeah. So he was like, and still is, probably one of my biggest inspirations to want to just make, you know, even the tiniest change if I can do that for him going forward so he has to deal with less shit when he gets older then I'd be very very happy I love that and I think that's it's similar but obviously quite different but I find that when I talk to my disabled friends you know about things like body image or around their hang-ups around disability so like a little bit of their internalized ableism you know I could speak till I'm blue in the face but no you're beautiful you're wonderful and genuinely mean Mm. it but then if I tried to flip the script on me I completely don't see it I completely don't believe it so I think that's so interesting how you had that experience with your son and how it made you change or start to change how you view that disability on Mm. you and I really wanted to ask you this because I've struggled to do this but how would you explain what internalized ableism is because I've tried to sort of explain it to non-disabled people and I don't think I do a very good job of it I think it's you know I mean if we're just looking at ableism as being this kind of you know it's very basis as thinking as you know thinking of disabled people as less than then internalized ableism for me is applying that to myself. So it was thinking that I was sort of less worthy because I was disabled. It's what used to, you know, have me apologizing on the street because somebody had to slightly, you know, move out my way. And I'm sorry, I'm sorry, you know, apologize for taking up space. It was, you know, all of that, those kind of internal Mm messages it was what sort of told me that oh you know I've got a big lump on my back and it's what told me for years that well that's gross because I was I was not born thinking the lump yeah. on my back was gross at all I was very neutral about it as much as I was about my elbows do you know what I mean like you know there's certain parts of well as a kid you know I think a lot of us remember the first time when we were told a part of our body was not right yeah. whether it's somebody saying we're fat or somebody going oh what's that and you know and I remember I, was, I think I could have only been about four years old and I was with a group of other kids who were getting changed for fancy dress and one of them pointed to my back and said oh what's that and I just remember just accepting that as fact oh so that's not a nice thing then so we won't ever show that again just like that and it, it don't, I don't remember it being particularly distressing but I just remember you know I know that's the moment that I was like oh okay well my back's not nice um 
you know, just sort of being able to kind of unpick all of that and think, okay, well, we are told that this is what a certain, you know, what a, an attractive body should look like. Um, and I think when I started, I'm going off on a bit of a tangent, but stop me. If no, please do. Whatever. I'm loving this. I noticed that when, obviously, you know, I had the kind of privilege for quite a few years of being, you know, non-disabled passing. Um, and you wouldn't have known I was disabled unless, you know, we were naked. So, you know, I'd, I'd gone through the world like that and when I started using really when I started using mobility aids but especially when I started using a wheelchair I became completely invisible um oh wow you know I could have been like I don't know (laughs) I don't know any relevant supermodels I was gonna say Kate Moss because I'm old and that's from my generation but (laughs) you know literally could be rolling down the street just wearing nipple tassels and most people still only see the wheelchair and at first I was a bit kind of affronted by it and like oh okay um but then actually I realized how freeing that was because actually I can be whatever size I want I can wear whatever I want I can do whatever I want you're still only ever going to see the wheelchair so it doesn't fucking matter I will decide whether I think I'm attractive or not and I say I am so there we go um yeah so I went off. We started with internalized ableism and I went back to body image again. Um, but, you know, obviously it's all it's all tied in, isn't it? Mm. You know, we, we are told through even as kids subliminally, you know, through the films that we watch <clears throat> when we look at Disney villains or, you know, people, you know, it's always disabled people, whether it's Captain Hook, you know, he's got a limb difference or whatever else. It's still there, this kind of messaging that that is scary and that isn't attractive and that's not what we deem beautiful. And that's so sad because when I'm on Instagram and I'm, you know, just looking at vast array of disabled bodies and just how beautiful they are in all their uniqueness. And it makes me so sad how medicalized we are and how medicalized those differences become and then they're only ever seen in this kind of cold medical prodding kind Mm. of light as opposed to being seen as just you know another beautiful part you know of the uniqueness of our bodies I I mean there are so many parts that that I particularly really resonate with and that I think you know as society particularly as women we're all held to these ridiculous beauty standards. But I think, you know, for disabled people who, you know, there's things about our bodies that no matter what diet we go on, no matter how much we exercise, we can't change that. And I I really struggle with that and sort of that, like, resentment towards the way that I look. And... I think, you know, there's there's a lot for people, I think, to learn from you sort of that idea of the wheelchair actually being quite freeing as about, you know, because I am going off of a post that you put on Instagram just in the past couple of days about the phrase wheelchair bound mm. and sort of the picture that you put up was you sitting in your wheelchair and then like cord tied around you and sort of like, no, that's what wheelchair bound is. You are a wheelchair user. And I think, you know, wheelchair usage like has such a I, like, stigma from non-disabled people as confining. So you're confined to a wheelchair, you're wheelchair bound but I think that's so interesting that you've had the opposite view really I think because sort of 
you know, I've had a long time. My mobility, as I say, was kind of up and down throughout my teenage years. Then it was pretty steady. And then once I kind of hit 30, it's been a real kind of gradual, almost a decade decline. So I think I had time to kind of get used to the idea. I didn't just obviously, you know, it wasn't a sudden thing. And also I think because my walking was such a struggle when I was trying to get around on crutches, and I hated it and I just didn't go anywhere because um, it just made me so anxious. And so the first time I, I think we hired one, I think we went to a concert or something. So the first time, you know, since being a teenager, as an adult with the autonomy, it was my choice. You know, I wasn't it was like I'm going to choose to get one for this day out. Mm. And I just couldn't believe it. Like it was so fun. And I remember it's just like horrible, clunky, like chair but I was like this is brilliant I can move around and you know I remember going to the toilet on my own and just sort of I just suddenly just felt freedom because I know had I been on my crutches especially like if I had to go anywhere like a shopping center or anywhere that had that like shiny floor on crutches I'd just be like oh god I'm gonna stack it so being in the chair where the shiny floor is like, you know, the dream, it was just that's what I felt. I didn't feel like, oh, God, I'm confined to this chair now. It just felt like, oh, well, I can get out. I can have a day out with my kids without worrying. And, you know, but I'd internalised all that for years that, you know, wheelchairs were terrible. Wheelchairs were the end of the line, the last result, like, you know, even I've had doctors say to me, I, I saw a neurosurgeon um, I don't know, maybe six, seven years ago. And as I, you know, basically, you know, it's nothing, nothing we can do for you. And his words were, you know, you're lucky you can walk at all. Or, you know, I'm surprised you can walk at all. Um, at least you can walk. And I think if you're somebody with spina bifida and you have got mobility, you know, that's kind of what you're, you know, it's kind of that fear of because, you know, other people mm. with spina bifida are in a wheelchair it's almost like this horror story that, well, that could be you, you know, or at least that's not you. Yeah. And that's fucking gross. And again, it was just something I internalized as fact. You know, I would literally tell myself that, well, I've got nothing to moan about because at least I'm not in a wheelchair. <laughs> that's yeah. so bad. Um, but, you know, that's just what we're all told, isn't it? So, of course, we're going to, you know, nobody's like, oh, yeah, wheelchairs are really cool in the same way we talk about mm. bikes or whatever else. But yet... When you kind of, I was at my friend's the other day and um, she's got a little girl the same age as my son. So she's like eight, just just having a little go in my chair. And she just said to her mum, mum, can I have one for Christmas, please? And her mum was like, no, no, you can't. But, you know, to a kid, anything with wheels is fucking cool. And a a wheelchair is cool. But then when you sort of have parents, the first time a kid, you know, comes across a wheelchair, instead of a parent just being like, oh, yeah, that's a wheelchair, helps someone get around. They're they're either like Mm. literally yanking them to get out of my way. And, you know, and suddenly that kid's like, oh, okay, well, then that's weird. That's it. You know, nobody's. Yeah, it like turns it into a taboo, like don't look, don't talk Mm. about it. It doesn't need, I just wish parents would you know, that matter of fact about it, because what do you think crutches are for? What do you think a walking stick's for? What is a hearing aid for? Like, it doesn't need to be an embarrassing conversation. Mm. And it just, you know, I talk a lot about disability being a neutral thing, because I think, like you said at the beginning, you know, with the toxic positivity, um, I think it's either, you know, you're inspiring or, oh my God, you should just be dead. Like, there's no in-between. Yeah. And for me, it's like, well, no, disability is just neutral. You know, sometimes it's crap. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes my life's crap 
and it has nothing to do with my disability um you know just like anybody's life yeah I think you know again there's so much there I mean your story about the neurosurgeon who at least you can still walk that really resonates with me in that I use a ventilator through a tracheostomy and that was a result of getting the swine flu back um, in 2009 and when I moved to the UK because I grew up in the States but when I moved to the UK the respiratory doctors that I was under and still am they were sort of hell-bent on getting me off of the ventilator and sort of you know it was this pathway that I guess they have all their patients go on that you know if you need a you know tracheostomy in a ventilator because of an accident or an illness like eventually you get off of it and I sort of thought about it um for a while and thought well actually for me it gives me a lot of freedom you know which uh, similar to you with the wheelchair but for me it means that I don't struggle breathing I don't get tired and I at that time I was at university and if it means that I can sit through a whole lecture without needing to step out to cough or to catch my breath or something like that then really that's improving my quality of life but it was their perception of what you know a ventilator was you know that oh you need to come mm-hmm. off of it it's not something for the long term and you know for me it it really benefits me and really mm. improves my quality of life as I said but um I remember and like it's just sort of occurring to me now that I think that was probably one of my first experiences of being gaslit because the doctors then said that I was psychologically dependent on the ventilator um And just when you were saying about what your surgeon said, it sort of rang all of these alarm bells for me. It made me think of that and sort of, you know, they're not seeing that these, you know, whether it's a mobility aid or a breathing aid, that it can actually be quite a good thing and Mm. make us feel like we're living the life that we want to. It's, yeah, I mean, that I, I don't think, I think I've, faced probably the most ableism from doctors and medical professionals and I don't think I know a single disabled person who hasn't experienced some sort of medical trauma Um, and I think because we are people that can't be fixed or won't get better you know what are they supposed to do with that because how are doctors supposed to get their kind of you know payoff to their god complex if you know they can't and then so I think so often, especially, you know, I mean, relative, I mean, I say I've got a relatively well-known condition. Um, I still think there's only like one or two specialists in the UK, but that's still better than some of my friends who've got chronic illnesses and fucking hell, like the way they are spoke to, the way they are told mm-hmm. it's all in their head. And it's just, oh, it, yeah, it, it's really, really grim I know obviously there's exceptions to the rules and you know and I'm friends with and chat to people who are lovely doctors and nurses and everything else but Mm. on the most part it's it's pretty grim yeah no I completely agree with that and I just wanted to go back to what you said about like the two ways that 
non-disabled people can view disabled people, their inspiration or an absolute tragedy? Like, sort of, what, you know, we, we spoke a little bit about toxic positivity, but sort of how do you as an advocate and as a content creator go about trying to live in that middle space and make it real I don't want to say relatable but understandable to non-disabled people you know how do you teach them about disability neutrality I think it's sort of it's hard because I think the pity is so sort of strong sometimes that it is hard to sometimes go actually being disabled is pretty shit because it's almost like they're mm. waiting to go well, I told you so yeah you were you know and so I don't think there's always space for that kind of honesty and I guess for me it's just to to keep talking about it that's you know sometimes I feel mm. like I'm repeating myself over and over again or or other times I just think I can't believe I'm having not having but you know making a video about how to interact with me like why should I like this shouldn't even be a thing yeah. like I have to go hey this is how to treat a wheelchair user like fucking like oh so I'm really swearing and getting no, across fine. um but yeah I guess like it's just trying to break things down in really simple terms I tend to I use glasses a lot as a comparison like you know my glasses that I use to help me read aren't particularly you know it's the same principle as a wheelchair that I help you know that I use to help Mm. me get around and just to try and get people to understand that you know we're not a different species and also that every you know disability is such a broad you know, I mean, it's huge. I can't possibly do it justice because I can only really speak about, you know, obviously being a, having a physical disability and being a wheelchair user. And, you know, I mean, even that trying to say to people, hey, I know you're all following me and I'm in a wheelchair, but actually, like, I make up a teeny percentage of what disability is. Mm. And I think, I don't know, really, some days I just think, you know, because I feel like my work is 50% kind of educating non-disabled people and 50% sort of um, supporting disabled people. Yeah. And that's probably my more favourite side of it because some days I just think, what's the point in trying to convince non-disabled people that we're worthy and everything else? Because if people can't, you know, even be bothered to do the tiny little things that were asked of them to keep disabled and vulnerable and sick people safe during the pandemic then you know yeah no I couldn't agree more and I think you know when I found your content it really made me feel seen like it really made me feel recognized because I and and I still struggle with this but when I talk about disability sometimes like I feel am I a bad disabled person for not sort of, you know, saying everything's wonderful, everything's great and not recognizing that sometimes it, it is really hard and it is hard to deal with emotionally sometimes. Mm. You know, I think we can be, like you were saying earlier, we can be very factual about it. You know, like I sometimes, you know, and I, I think I've said this in a previous episode of the podcast where when I was commuting into work that I could be discriminated against three, four times 
just before I even got into the office. Mm-hmm. And there's, you know, the difficulties with that. But I don't think I often enough we talk about how does that feel, you know, mm-hmm. and how does it feel to deal with that day in and day out. And what I really respect about your content is that you do say, yeah, sometimes it is really hard. That doesn't mean that my life isn't worth living, but mm. it's making it real and normal. And yeah, I, I'm i interested in how, you know, what's the feedback that you've gotten from non-disabled people? Have they sort of understood it or yeah, sort of what's that reception been like? In general, like, I'm really lucky because I don't get too much crap. I did stumble upon a forum the other day where I was slated, which wasn't nice, but we shan't go back on there. Won't go back on there again. But yeah, in general, like my Instagram, it's a lovely community. And what's nice is I'll get messages sometimes like, I don't know, for example, oh, um, I watched this thing on TV and I instantly recognised that that was inspiration porn and I never would have tweaked that before. I would have just been like, oh, this is lovely. So that's sort of really nice. I love those sort of messages where people are like, you've really made me think or I've called out the inaccessibility mm. in this venue or whatever else. Sometimes I will get things like, well, you know, I think what that person meant when they said that to you, though, was, and I'm just like, fuck off, like, impact over intent always. I literally don't care. You know, I generally do not think that, you know, anybody who's come up and asked me an intrusive question is like an evil puppy killer. Like, I realise they're probably, you know, a decent person, but I can still take umbrage because if it was a one-off incident, I probably wouldn't, but it's like being bitten by gnats over and over and over again every single day of your life. And, you know, after a while, those tiny little things build up to feel like a a really big thing. And I think as well, it's getting understanding that not always, like there's a lot of sides, you know, there's sides to my disability that nothing's ever going to change. But also for me, most of the crap that I face with my disability is preventable is you know is the barriers is the person coming over and pitying me like you know you're pitying me purely because I can't walk but actually you're my problem at the minute you're what's making my life annoying at the minute because I'm fine you know Mm. I'm I'm, you know so I'm in some accessible shopping center having a lovely time you coming over to me and you know being like oh bless that's what's wrong with my life that because that's not normal that's not how people talk to each other um and I think getting people to sort of understand that that what you think is terrible about disability isn't it's fine it's just a thing you know mobility aids can help with it but actually what is terrible about disability for me more times than not is non-disabled people and you know access barriers and blah 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 yeah I feel like I'm having a real like light bulb moment where I'm like oh my god that's it that is exactly how it is a lot of the time it's that yeah you know when you think about I'm sorry I'm just rambling but I'm like oh my god I I finally understand disability which sounds ridiculous but it that makes so much sense you know and what you said about impact over intent I really get that as well you know someone may you know think that they're being kind by 
coming up to you and saying like, oh, bless her. I, you know, I'm sure every disabled person's had this, but someone going like, you're in my prayers or I'll pray for you. Yeah. And it's just so uncomfortable. And, you know, it's like you said, it's not normal. And yeah, their intent is kind, but is that because, yeah, that, that pity, no one wants that when they're <laughs> anywhere, let alone, you know, out and about from an actual stranger. Mm. And I think historically, because disabled people have just been either sort of institutionalized or, you know, kept at home in a room um, and just generally really, really vilified, there's almost this sort of, but I'm being nice to you. I'm talking to you. Surely you should be grateful for that. And it's like, but no, because you're, you know, it's still really othering. It's still separating us into like this different species that, you know, okay, well, you know, we used to not talk to you, but now we're super sweet to you and at least say hello. So that's okay. And it's like, no, I don't give a shit about any of that. Just give me the same rights that you've got. That's what I want. Yeah. Couldn't agree more with that. So we talked a little bit about your teenage years and how in those years you were non-disabled presenting but I want to know who were your role models when you were growing up I don't know why I just made that noise I don't know I've been asked that before I don't know I don't think there was anybody that you know I don't remember seeing any disabled people in the media the first time I remember um, I think I was 18 so that would have been 1998 and there was a magazine called, I think it was called Bizarre Magazine, that always had people like with a thousand tattoos or people who turned themselves into a cat or something like that. Um, but I remember there was a model on the front and she was an amputee and it's and she was just like, she was so cool. Um, I can't remember her name now because was going way back, but she just had like this short black fringe. It's a bit like Betty Page and just, you know, and had this sort of prosthetic leg and she just looked really cool. And that was sort of, I remember that being a bit of a thing like, oh, wow, you've got a visible difference and you look amazing and you're celebrated for it and I've never seen that before but Mm. I just kind of I didn't sort of seek any disability representation really when I was growing up because I think I just spent so much time trying to pretend I wasn't disabled yeah I completely get that and you know it's when I ask people that I completely anticipate the answer being it wasn't a disabled person Mm. Um, and I think that that's really valid. And I think that that's what a big thing that I think disabled people are trying to challenge now by, you know, doing blogs or doing podcasts like this, where we're trying to provide that representation of a disabled person, but in a way, in a narrative that we choose. Exactly. Like own voices, um, mm. representation. And I often wonder like how different, my life would have been if I did have disabled peers and a just you know and a disabled mentor and somebody to say to me you know your body's not gross and you're not wrong and this isn't you you know this isn't your fault um just how sort of impactful that would be and and that kind of spurs a lot of the work um excuse me like my mentoring work that I do to be able to just sort of, you know, to talk to and help somebody with something that I've been through. And um, yeah, it's just like one of my favorite things to do. I really love that. And I feel like I would be doing myself 
an injustice if I didn't ask you about your role models now because I have been green with envy of your content recently where you met the wonderful <laughs> Jonathan Van Ness. And I, I want to know sort of what is it, what is it about JVN that you love so much and sort of, you know, is that a representative of your role models now yes I mean I've got lots of disability role models as well like I think when I some of the sort of first people that I discovered on the app um was like uh, Rebecca sitting pretty who was writing these words that felt you know just sort of spoke to me and obviously they weren't just for me but it felt like they were just for me and that was you know that was sort of yeah that just blew my mind completely to sort of it just yeah I really like Rebecca with JVN um so when I basically my mobility really really started to decline um and I just had my youngest as well so around the time that Queer Eye came out I was sort of laid up in bed I couldn't really walk I had a newborn baby um Mm. and then I don't know I always refer to it as like I'm printed on them a bit like Jacob in Twilight um (laughs) they just kind of came on the screen and I just loved that you know they don't I think you know I worry far too much about what other people think of me well certainly used to a lot more than I do now and to see somebody that just so comfortable in their own skin and to be able to just be themselves and not give a shit about other people's judgment I think that's what kind of did it for me and I just yeah I love them and I got to meet them and it was amazing and they're so nice oh I yeah I was so jealous but I was so like oh my god what an amazing moment that would have been and I completely agree with you about that just sort of owning confidence and I think it's it's really difficult particularly when we live in a world where like you said we're told we're gross we're wrong we're this that and the other so no I I really love that um so what is something that you're most proud of? Nice question. I had somebody sent me a message the other day to say that they had a 10-year-old daughter who had cerebral palsy who watches my videos and that it's like made her more confident with her own wheelchair. Oh, wow. And that was it. I was just like, this is the best message that I have ever received. Um, And I was talking to my lovely friend, Mary, Invalid Art, the other day, and we were talking about because we're both sort of the same age and saying how, you know, being able to use your own trauma to kind of prevent or to help prevent other people having to go through that same trauma Mm. um, is a really lovely thing. And I think that's probably what I'm most proud of, that I just kind of had that vulnerability to go, you know what, fuck it, this is what I'm going to do. I'm just going to put myself out there online and hope that that helps, you know, even one other person, then I'll be, you know, it'll be worth it. So, yeah, that's what I'm most proud of. How do you get to that level of comfort with vulnerability? And I'm aware that that's like a really big, difficult question. But I, you know, for me, I, you know, I literally have created this platform called The Wheelchair Activist. You would think, you know, that I am super confident and all of that around talking about disability but there are still so many parts of disability and how it impacts me that I'm still too afraid to talk about but I completely agree with you that the people who are brave enough to 
share those difficult parts of their life and who they are will benefit other people. So how did you get to that point of being like, yeah, I'm just going to do it? I think like, so for me, so I've got, um, for example, I've got um, amputated toes and and my feet are quite um, misshapen. And it's never something that I've never got, like I don't get them out in front of people. And I'm still not massively like, you know, around my, like Jason, the kids, whatever, but I still would feel a bit weird, say, you know, in public. But anyway, when I remember when I was like, I'm going to post about this on the internet. And I just remember being so scared and I spoke to Jace about it and we sort of spoke it through and Jace, you know, just spoke about what if people say horrible shit about that, you know, but then also what if people are overly nice because, ooh, they're really not, you know, let's be neutral about it. Um, But I just kind of thought, okay, I'm not going to die if I do this. So I just sort of did it and I didn't die. And I think it's just been every time I've done it, it's given me the encouragement to do it a bit more. And I don't share everything. Like I did a whole, um, I was really proud of it as well. I did this a whole highlight around incontinence a couple of years ago. No, I don't know. What, I don't know what time is anymore. I had blue hair. So I think it was 2020 maybe. Um, but I, I was so proud of this highlight. But even that, like my friend was like, are you going to talk about shit and poo? Not yet. No, not quite got there yet to talk about that on Instagram. Um, So there's still parts of my experience that I'm, you know, that I'm not ready to talk, or certainly not on Instagram anyway. Um, But I think it just was, and it sounds like really crappy advice, but it was kind of just little bits, like Mm. was a little bit vulnerable. That was okay. There's been some posts that have definitely the next day that I felt like that real kind of vulnerability hangover where I'm like, oh my God, oh, what have I done? Why would I do that? That's, ugh. but then I'll get a message saying something, how that's, you know, some it resonated for somebody or it really helped them. And then I'm like, okay, well, then that's cool. You know, not saying anybody has to do anything, you know, nobody has to put themselves in that sort of position at all. But it just, yeah, it just kind of, I think it just got less scary the more I've done it. And, you know, you asked me that question like a week ago when I was in the height of my PMT, I'd have told you that I hate doing it and I don't know what I'm doing. And and so for all my kind of confidence online, I still have times at home where I'm like, oh God, I'm awful mm. and I'm not doing this and I'm not talking about this and I'm a terrible advocate. Um, and also what's been really helpful to me is kind of remembering that, you know, like, I'm loved by kind of my, you know, my inner circle loves me, all of me when I'm being an absolute knobhead and when I'm being lovely, you know, they love all the sides of me. And even, you know, I could literally throw my phone out the window and I would still have my little circle. And that kind of keeps me quite anchored as well in regards to a case. It doesn't really matter, you know, what happens online because this is, you know, this is what's important to me. Yeah, I think that, you know, what you said about if you did this, you wouldn't die. That really struck a chord with me thinking, oh, that does make sense. You know, because I think that you can go to like this worst case scenario of, you know, what if people are horrible and all of that. But I I mean, I agree if when you get those messages saying like, you know, your content made me feel less alone or understood it it means the world really and it makes you think okay I'm going to keep doing this because that one little thing I did helped someone else so no I I love that and I think it's so 
honest, Nate, but really important to mention that, you know, there are things that if you're not ready to talk about, you're not obliged to and you're not being no. a bad person for not doing it. No, I think I literally saying something to the other day. There is so much to be said for just being a disabled person existing online, posting pictures of your cats or your crocheting or your interior design or whatever it is like not. Sometimes I feel like it's expected that every disabled, but I sort of joke and say, well, I'm a professional disabled person. That's what I do for a living. Um, You know, and it's like this expectation that everybody's got to be out here advocating. But I think actually it's really powerful just to see a disabled person existing and being oh what disabled people they're just like regular people yeah we are um you know so I think there is just so much to be you know if if anybody's listening to this is like oh you know I feel really crap because I'm not talking about disability issues you don't have to be you know you're alive enjoy your life you know the pretty much the half the world you know doesn't really care if we live or die so just you know it's quite revolutionary I think just being a disabled person existing um you know and showing their joy and pain and everything else um you know or their cats or their crocheting yeah Um, yeah and I completely agree with that and that's a big motivation behind this podcast is yeah you know I'm interviewing some amazing disabled advocates but I also want to be interviewing the person whose job has absolutely nothing to do with disability because that will show young disabled people that they don't have to be the professional disabled person I've used that expression myself as well you know that you know I ended up working in disability and in the charity sector really by accident and you know I love it and I'm really happy to be doing it but I don't want disabled people to think that they have to do something Mm. in that line because you know for me and I think it sounds like for you as well for so much for young lives we didn't identify as disabled so where are you going to get the representation from disabled people who happen to be you know a hedge fund manager or Mm. you know a doctor or you know whatever it is that you want to do um so it's, you know, I, I completely agree. You don't, you don't have to do it. There's nothing wrong with not doing it. No, like I love sort of, you know, as much as I love making content around it all, I also just like making, you know, silly reels with me showing off some skirt I've just got or, you know, dancing around or talking about stuff I collect and, you know, or interior design and all the other things that make me me because, you know, I just think it's important that we all, yeah, don't just get pigeonholed into oh, professional yeah. disabled people. Absolutely. So, more difficult question. What has been the hardest barrier that you've had to overcome? Oh, gosh. I think myself. I think my own internalised ableism. I think my own fear of what other people are going to think, um, say, the way they're going to look at me just other people I think sort of overcoming that and that's still a work in progress as well because I have some days when I'm out in my chair like I'm the queen of the fucking world and other days when I'm out in my chair and you know heads down a little bit and just a bit like oh fucking hell, don't look at me don't look at me um so it's not yeah. I don't think it's a journey I don't know if it, I don't think it's a destination that I'll ever fully reach I think it's but it's definitely 
something that I'm getting better at is just knowing that I deserve to take up space, knowing that I deserve to be in all the same places that everybody else can. Um, And I think translating my kind of gobbiness that I have online into real life, because I can be like, yeah, yeah, don't take that shit off no one. And then somebody approaches me in the street and I'm like, oh, yes, hello. okay, yeah, that's fine. Um, So trying to be a little bit braver in real life, but also not giving myself a hard time when I'm not, because actually it's really vulnerable being a disabled person out in public um so you know I think a lot of people have said to me oh you know somebody come and ask me this question and I just didn't answer right and I told them and now and I'm like that's not on you you know don't carry that don't beat yourself up because you didn't say the right thing at that time because it's fucking hard and you know it's them it's them and they're able as shit it's not you so I think just confidence I think has been my sort of biggest sort of challenge just yeah just that's it I think that that's so important and I've definitely had moments like that where you know I I tweeted about this but I a couple of months ago had an eye exam and the man conducting the exam kept asking my dad the questions instead of me and like you know my dad happened to be there as my carer because you know I need 24-hour care brought dad along and I just I felt really crappy afterwards because I didn't say something like I'm sorry can you ask me the questions or you know you are aware that you're doing my eye exam or whatever sassy like response I thought about afterwards and I I don't want to say that I took it because I did you know complain afterwards you know via email but it was it really caught me off guard and it made me feel really uncomfortable and vulnerable, like you said. And, you know, I tweeted about this and said that, you know, even me being, you know, fairly loudmouth has moments where I don't feel comfortable challenging things all the time in public. And it's okay if that applies to you. And I sat there looking at the tweet, I was getting like, really good engagement but thinking I still don't believe that about myself I believe that and I want other people to know that but I still felt like I was letting the side down because I didn't go off on one or say something to redirect that scenario so I think you know when you said that the biggest barrier was yourself I you know was a bit taken aback but I thought I really get really get that I think it's you know it's so easy for all of us to internalize all this stuff isn't it and think that we're the problem all the time um and I think yeah being able to kind of overcome that real you know the I always you know the part of me that kind of carries the most ableism the part of me that's the most sort of criticizing part to be able to I mean overcomes the wrong word but to be able to kind of make peace with that part and um you know to not let it rule you know when that part's going well you know don't do this or you can't do this or do you know they're thinking that or they're just to sort of yeah to kind of just yeah. say, it's okay you can take a break from all that worrying and you know I think yeah that's and I think it 
I, you know, we had it, was it last year or the year before? We had a, a door fitter came into the house to talk about a new front door. And I can't even remember what he said now, but it was something along the lines of nothing. I mean, it wasn't horrendous. It was like, oh, so how long have you been in that for? You're quite young. It was something, one of those. Oh, you're a bit young to be in that, aren't you? You're in that mm. all the time. And I should have just said, yeah, you're here for the door. But I didn't. I just sort of, I mumbled something, yeah. but he just spoke over me. And and I think it's even worse when it's in your own house as well. Um, but, you know, it's a power dynamic, isn't it? You know, when you're sort of there as a disabled person and then there's a non-disabled stranger there, especially if they're in a position where they're giving you an examination or something else. It's, you know, it's mm. a full respect for the people who are able to speak up in those situations. Um, because, yeah, for me, it's still it doesn't always happen and I think that that's so important to acknowledge so you've touched on this a little bit but I want to ask you what advice would you give your younger self or others like you I think for me I would have just said to seek out community because it will change everything for you you know stop being scared and trying to separate yourself from something that actually is gonna you know it's Mm. not this negative thing that you think it is you're just being told it is and that's not your truth that's other people's truth so you know you don't like to stop seeing your disability as a flaw because it's not you know it's just a part of who you are and yeah seek out other people and go and talk to other people because there's so much beauty in community and disability and you know you just don't sort of realize that I yeah I definitely agree with that I think you know it it provides such catharsis when you are talking to someone about a problem that you have that's really unique to disability and they really get it because they've experienced it there's something Mm -hmm. so there's something so powerful in that because you aren't having to explain the the nuances of disability or internalized ableism and all of that it's it's so important and definitely something that I shut myself off from for a very long time so I completely agree with you that you know community is wonderful when you're ready to be in it and I could not recommend following you on Instagram more if any of what we've talked about resonates with you because it really struck a chord with me and I love seeing your content and I you know I've been sitting here like listening do you talk about your experiences and the way that you've tried to overcome your own hang-ups and I just keep thinking god I want to be like her so Thank you so much for being so open and honest with with me and with this podcast about disability. It's been hugely enlightening. And yeah, just I've been so excited to talk to you. So thank you. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me on. It's always such an honor. I'm always a bit like they want me to come and talk. Okay. Um, just thank you. It's been such a nice chat. I've really enjoyed it. Oh, amazing. Great. Well, everyone go follow Nina on Instagram and on, are there any other, are you one of those brave people who's on TikTok? 
Oh, I'm on fucking everything. Yeah. yeah. I, don't, I don't really, I tend to just share my stuff across all the same stuff across just in case like Instagram explodes, I feel like. But yeah, I'm kind of like Nina Tame, T-A-M-E, just across the board. I'm generally lurking on some sort of social media platform or another. Amazing. Well, thank you so much again. No, thank you. It's been great. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Wheelchair Activist, where I interviewed the amazing Nina Tame. I learned so much from her, and I really hope that you did too. Before you go, I just wanted to remind you that we do have a GoFundMe and a Patreon set up for this podcast. We are committed to making this platform as inclusive and as accessible as possible, but to do that costs money. We're working with an amazing podcast producer to make sure that this podcast is completely accessible and we're running regular accessibility audits of the website. If you're able to contribute anything, we would appreciate it so, so much. But if you aren't, give it a share, and maybe that rich uncle or maybe a rich cousin will be interested in supporting this cause. Thank you so much again for listening, and I will see you very soon.